Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Stephen Licorice, and this is the Autosport National Podcast. It's Monday the 17th of May, and today we're looking ahead to the start of two categories at the top level of national racing, British GT and BRDC British F3. Both championships are due to begin at Brands Hatch this weekend, a little later than planned because of the restrictions arising from the pandemic. Joining me to look at some of the key themes and likely contenders in each series are Autosport Plus editor James Newbold and Deputy National Editor Stephen Mackley. So let's start with you, James. It seems a long time ago now, but in a pre-coronavirus world, uh, British GT attracted a sellout grid for 2020 before it then lost a number of its entries by the time the season actually got underway. And then by the time of the Silverstone 500 finale, it was back up to having a bumper field again. Since then, there's been a change in the rules concerning driver gradings, which ruled out the successful silver-silver combinations in the GT3 class. So how would you say the series is sort of fairing up heading into this new season? Well, I guess, Stephen, you could say in some ways that British GT is almost back to normal with, you know, pro-am pairings going for the outright wins again. When I last counted, um, there's 12 GT3 entries um, scheduled for this year from six manufacturers, which is a, a pretty decent effort, all told. 14 cars from, from eight different manufacturers in GT4. It's a tricky one. You can look at it two different ways and say, actually, British GT has done well to get the grid it has. And equally, you could say, well, maybe it should be higher. But then the caveat to that is perhaps we were spoiled before the pandemic. And this is just the reality of uh, of, of what motorsport in the in a national sense 
is like at the moment. I mean, I know you wrote a column recently for the magazine talking about the pent-up demand of club racing and, and the bumper grids there, but GT racing is quite a bit more expensive when you look at the, the pieces of kit that drivers are going out there with in GT3 and in GT4. You mentioned there about the, the silver silver pairings being banned. Last year, if anything, was a bit of an outlier in that sense, given that there were a few drivers that were maybe looking to do European series or um, had been planning to do something elsewhere, then the pandemic hit and plans changed. And quite a lot of the silver entries that we ended up with last year were, were very last-minute affairs. They ended up dominating the season, and we only had four races which were actually won by Pro-Am pairings. All the rest were, were silvers. The SRO, the series organisers, decided that this sort of situation wasn't feasible for the long-term health of British GT so it moved to ditch the silver class as an incentive to get bronze graded amateur drivers um, to to enter the championship um, many of whom had actually pulled out of of the 2020 season um, including uh, Graham Davidson who won the title in 2019 and Sean Balfe who was a title contender as well um, Ahmad Ahati was another um, driver that was expected to, to figure really strongly last year with Johnny Adam, who'd won the um, his fourth British GT title with Graham Davidson in 2019. So that was three, you know, really strong uh, bronze drivers that were that were out. Um, but actually, you know, the way it's panned out, I was speaking to um, the boss of Ram Racing, Dan Shufflebottom, and he said that actually it's been quite hard for, for them to attract gentlemen drivers um, even with without the, the, the silver class effectively um, meaning that, that Pro-Am is, is now the de facto uh, you know class that's competing for outright wins um, and he said that's just a factor of basically them coming into 2021 already with a, a fair amount of uncertainty um, where actually you know going into 2020 um, by the time the season had started, they'd already allocated the budget for that year, uh, either physically uh, or, or mentally, and their heads kind of decided that that was what they were going to do. Whereas this year, it's maybe that bit easier to, to avoid that risk and, and decide to, to take a year out. Banning the silver pairings means that certain types of drivers are also effectively frozen out because if they're going to compete in GT3, they have to do so alongside a, a bronze-graded driver and, in theory, a silver AM pairing, which is the new subclass that British GT has has created to, to try and keep silvers in the in the series. Um, you know, all things being equal, they're not going to be able to beat a pro-AM pairing given that silver is, is a class reserved for for under 30 drivers that are you know up and coming um, aspiring professionals so they might not be as quick as as fully fledged pros and they're also maybe not going to be as experienced when it comes to to coaching amateur drivers um, so as a result of, of, of this you know freezing out the, the likes of Rob Collard who won the title last year with um, Sandy Mitchell Collard who is a, a a driver who's graded bronze by his age, um, but deemed because of his experience from many years competing in the British Touring Car Championship that he's not a true amateur and therefore uh, upgraded to, to silver. Uh, and Sam DeHaan, who was the runner-up last year, uh, another silver-graded driver. Um, neither of those uh, are likely, as we understand, to return this year, although there's always the possibility, this is British GT after all, that they might pop up for, for one-off outings here and there. Um, it also means that you're not going to get the likes of um, James Baldwin, who came in from, from sim racing uh, alongside a, an up-and-coming McLaren driver, Michael O'Brien, and, and they won the very first race of last year, 
which was quite a sensational story. Um, you know, we have got three Silver Am cars on the grid this year, but of those two are, are father and son entries. Um, so effectively, you know, a, a father wanting to, to, to go racing with his son and maybe not a, a fair reflection of, of what the, the outright um, level in, in British GT is these days. You could say, you know, there's still reasons to be cheerful about British GT because the x car that came really close to winning the championship in 2019 is in new hands with a, a new team to British GT, so that's exciting. We've got Johnny Adam back full-time this year, which uh, is, is really exciting given that he's with Andrew Howard, who uh, uh, is a double champion in British GT in his own right. And they won the title together in 2015. Um, we've got Team Parker has got a new Porsche GT3 car. That's the first time that that will be um, competing in, in British GT full-time. And we've got Sicily Motorsport, which is a regular, of course, in the British Touring Car Championship, joining GT4 ranks full-time this year. So there are lots of interesting storylines to, to look at. I guess it just depends how you look at it. Is it is it realistic to see uh, British GT immediately bouncing back to, to what it was pre-pandemic? Um, and also considering that, yes, there was that bounce for Silverstone last year, but naturally that was, you know, given that it was the very end of the racing season in, in November and a lot of people wanting to get a little bit of extra track time just before the, the end of the racing season. So so the Silverstone grid, perhaps not a, a, a fair reflection really of what the, the season was like last year. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the point you were making about... Um the fact that the series is reliant to a certain extent on the AM drivers and, and many of these perhaps own or run their own businesses and therefore spending money going racing at the moment when they may still have staff on furlough, for example, it can be really, really difficult for them to, to justify and therefore naturally it, it's, it has a sort of limiting effect on the numbers but potentially as the as we think hopefully improve the situation improves out of the pandemic um that that will change but you mentioned a few of the some of the sort of key changes for this year just then who would you say in gt3 we should really be watching out for in terms of challenging right up at the front it's interesting because british gt always regardless of how deep the field is the the guys at the front are always of a of a very strong standard and I think this year there's five or six cars that you look at and say you know have have really good prospects for for this season um I'd say that the the most interesting off-season move if you like is eternal bridesmaid Phil Keane who's moved across to join Michael Igo at the WPI motorsport Lamborghini team um that's a single car um squad um but it has a new engineer uh, this year, Andy Richardson, who's um, comes from the Barwell camp, just as Phil Keane has in Andy Richardson. It's a fairly young team, given that he's only joined British GT in 2019 with a, a Porsche Carrera Cup car. Um, but it's it's really made waves um, in in the time since. Michael Igo won um, his first British GT race at Donington last year with Andrea Cordarelli, and he said to me for our British GT season preview in in Autosport magazine that actually the, the the big stumbling block for him last year was just the the multitude of different Lamborghini factory drivers he had alongside him last year that meant he couldn't um you know have that consistent approach to a race weekend just having to you know constantly get used to working with a different teammate um and so actually with, with Keane alongside him um you know Keane is 
probably one of the quickest drivers in the championship. He he took seven out of nine fastest laps last season. The only thing that's prevented him from winning the championship is just a, a cluster of of unfortunate situations that um, some not of his doing on pure pace and and you know the the way he works in a team works with amateur co-drivers you'd say he's absolutely on a par with you know someone like Johnny Adam who's won four it, that's just the way that, that, that it's happened is that it whenever there's been a, a title showdown it's tended to, to go to Adam um, Adam of course as I, as I mentioned back with, with Andrew Howard um, they they only did one race together last season that was at Brands Hatch and they qualified fourth on the grid um, but Andrew had a had a bit of a disappointing start to the race, ended up getting bottled up in traffic and um, wasn't able to, to score points in the end. But I think that's a pairing that knows how to get the job done. They know how to win championships. They're not a pairing that makes lots of mistakes. Um, and you can rely on them, you know, one way or another to, to, to rack up the points and, and put together a consistent title challenge. We haven't mentioned Barwell yet, really. Um, Phil Keane, obviously, leaving created a vacancy um, Rob Collard not returning as well um, so there's been a bit of a reshuffle there Adam Ballon who was sharing with Keane last year now has Sandy Mitchell alongside him who won the championship with, with Collard last year and Mark Lemmer the boss at Barwell um, reckons that that partnership is, is going really well in testing they seem to be looking for the similar sorts of things from the car um, the Lamborghini is a, is a car that, that is quite aero dependent so it's perhaps not the easiest um, of, of machines for, for amateurs to, to handle given the way that it, it makes its time um, but Mark was, was really confident about them um, and the, the other car is uh, Leo Machitsky and Dennis Lind Leo, uh, the, the 2006 series champion returning for his first season um, since then he's done a lot of racing in, in Europe in that time and Dennis Lind people may remember from his uh, appearances with WPI at the end of 2019 um, a pairing that will also be will be very fast, and I guess the the last pairing that that we really need to mention here is the reigning pro am champions. Now, of course, l- last year being a year where silver was pretty dominant, um, it was actually a, a pairing that didn't win a race outright that won the pro am title, and that was um, Yelma Berman and Ian Loggie for for Ram Racing. Um, that's a that's a pairing that's uh, unchanged for this year. Um, really strong lineup in a team that knows the Mercedes really well. Um, you, you have to say that, that they were perhaps a little unlucky not to win a race last year. Um, Dan Shufflebottom kind of cites uh, the Donington two-hour wet race as one that they really should have won had it not been for a, a mistake in, in the pits that, that cost them a, a bunch of time. Um, and actually not having a permanent teammate, as it stands at least, um, that should... Um, inevitably mean that they'd get a little bit more support and attention from Ram. Um, so, yeah, lots of contenders. We haven't mentioned yet um, the, the JRM Bentley with uh, Martin Plowman and Kelvin Fletcher, who sat out last year when the pandemic hit because a lot of their sponsors were, were tied up in VIP um, hospitality packages and they, they felt it was unfair to, to go and effectively spend that money without the, the sponsors getting the, the return on that. Um, they won the 2019 GT4 Pro-Am title, so they're stepping up to, to GT3, uh, a very good pairing there. Um, and the Team Parker Porsche, um, 
I mentioned before, Scott Malvin and Nick Jones. Um, they won a race in the Bentley last year at Donington. Um, they found the Bentley quite a quite a tricky machine to handle, so they've switched to the Porsche, um, and we'll we'll see whether that works out for them. But but Parker, a, a team that knows how to win this championship, of course they won with Seb Morris and Rick Parfit in 2017. So you know, as I say, there's there's lots of pairings at the front end of the field that on any given weekend can win, and it'll be really interesting to see how that championship pans out. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, there's no shortage of different potential winning combinations there and it's also the case in gt4 as as well which wasn't the the strongest of seasons last year for gt4 that was really sort of quite badly affected by by the pandemic but this year it's it's looking much more encouraging isn't it so who who would you sort of pick out from from the gt4 crop as as being ones to watch it's really interesting on, on gt4 because last year the, the grid was was only Eight, eight cars for the full season which was which was pretty disappointing but actually the, the title battle was really entertaining and it went down to a, a three-way title decider at Silverstone with um, the two TF Sport Aston Martins up against the HHC Motorsport McLaren. Now interestingly neither of those two teams uh, are coming back. Um, TF Sport has got a, a menagerie of, of series that it's competing in this year um, across GTE, LMP2, um, all sorts of different things and it it just doesn't have the capacity, I understand, to, to do um, GT4 as well. Uh, it also said that it, it struggled to actually get some interest for, for this year, which seems remarkable. Um, so it's put its cars up for sale. Um, and HHC has, has formed a partnership with United Autosports to do um, GT4 European, um, and it won the first round of that championship um, at Monza recently. Um, so you'd think, well, crikey, it, it must be completely wide open. Um, but I think there are a few... Um, key players that, that you can look at. Um, one of them is the RJN team, which um, is running the McLaren Driver Development Programme this year. Um, so it has, uh, amongst its ranks, Michael Benyahia, Alain Valent, Katie Milner and Harry Hayek. Um, the first two mentioned uh, do have experience of the McLaren 570S. Um, each won a race in ADAC GT4 in 2019, whereas Milner and Hayek uh, don't have as much experience but perhaps a little bit more knowledge of the UK circuits. RGN hasn't run this car before, it has run the, the GT3 McLaren um, but what it does have is, is ample experience in GT4. Um, it won the 2009 European GT4 Teams title and it also won the 2011 Blancpain GT4 Championship back when Blancpain had enough capacity to, to allow GT4 as well as GT3 onto its uh, grids. And in that year, they beat um, a, a, an Italian entered Lotus that had Leo and, and Greg Mansell driving it. Um, so, plenty of experience there and plenty of experience when it comes to developing young drivers, obviously, from Argen's time running the, the PlayStation Nissan GT Academy setup. Um, the 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 DDP drivers were originally supposed to be racing last year, but of course they uh, had to withdraw from, from from the season. So they've been sat uh, on the sidelines, but they haven't been idle. Um, I spoke to Katie Milner for our season preview, and she said actually she's a completely different driver now um, than she was ahead of the start of last year, thanks to the preparation work she's done with um, iZone, who are the, the sim partners for McLaren. Um, and RGN is also running a third car for uh, James Kell, who's who's come over from the Speedworks Toyota setup, and Jordan Collard, who perhaps was a little unlucky not to win the title last year. Um, 
as I say, took it down to the wire for HHC, but they had a puncture at Brands Hatch in a race that not very many cars actually finished. Um, and they were unfortunately one of those. They had a puncture on the Grand Prix loop and were stranded out the back of the circuit. And even if they'd managed to finish in 7th or 8th place or something, um, they would have scored points that would have been pretty helpful for their title campaign. So the McLaren contingent looking strong this year, and I expect their main rivals to, to come from, from two camps really. Um, Stellar Performance is back with the Audi R8 that they last ran in 2019, and fittingly they actually won on their last appearance with that car at Donington Park. Um, Richard Williams and Senn and Fielding, a very evenly matched pairing there in, in, in the silver-silver class, um, again, who, who know how to win races. And then Century Motorsport, which won the title in 2018 with Jack Mitchell. They've got the first and second place runners from last year's Ginetta GT4 Super Cup with Will Burns um, moving across to join uh, Gus Burton. Uh, and they'll be a really good lineup, I think. Um, evenly matched. Will Burns has experience at British GT before from a season he did in the Ginetta uh, a couple of years back. Um, and Nathan Freak, the team boss, has really high hopes for, for Gus Burton to join um, the BMW Young Driver Scheme at the end of this year. So it'll be really interesting to see how they, they get on as you know former rivals pairing up in the same car. Um, Will, I spoke to for the preview as well, he said that he got on quite well with the car in, in tests that he'd done uh, and actually said, you know, Gus is, is a really quick lad and, and he's got some work to do to make sure he's on the on the same level as him. Um, so yeah, all, all, all told there looks to be a, a really good, you know, bunch of, of, of cars that, that can compete at the front and and there's also you know some interest in um, the Pro-Am class as well given that last year we only had one car rented for the full season in, in Pro-Am. Um, this year we've got Sicily as I mentioned earlier with 2014 champion Jake Giddings. Uh, Darren Turner, anybody know him? Yes, the three-time Le Mans winner is, is in GT4 this year driving a, a Newbridge Motorsport Aston Martin uh, and we've also got Speedworks as I mentioned earlier um, James Kell and um, Sam Smelt were really quick in that car last year. Um, results didn't go their way. Now it's gone from a silver class entry to, to Pro-Am with uh, Scott McKenna um, going really well in testing in that car alongside Porsche Carrera Cup graduate John Ferguson. So really good to have um, competition again in the Pro-Am class as well and in the longer races where the Pro-Am cars have a shorter pit stop than Silver Silver we could see some really interesting battles as the um, Pro-Am cars go for the outright win as well. Like you say there's there's plenty of different driver combinations that could be winning races there and it's good to see that the, the GT4 class is is back up to being stronger again obviously for quite a few years it it was the sort of dominant class in British GT whereas it, the roles were reversed last year. Now as you sort of suggested there there's quite a change in terms of the teams that are making up GT4 uh, this time around. Do you think um, losing a, t a team like TF Sport, which, as you said, had a really successful season last year, is a, is a bit of a blow for the championship? Or would you say at the same time that actually it shows that the championship is a, a bit of a sort of stepping stone onto uh, higher levels of, of the sort of European and, and worldwide motorsport ladder? Well, I'm sure if you asked the the, the organisers at the SRO, they're, t they're, they're, they're gutted to, to lose uh, TF Sport. I mean, Tom Ferrier's team um, is the double reigning champion in GT4, uh, and in 2019 it did the double in GT3 and GT4. Um, you know, an example of a team that, that kind of came in um, a couple of years before, 
really built up its credentials, established itself as a, as a winner, and and then it competes across every level of of, of GT racing in, in GT3 um, in Europe and, and globally now in the World Endurance Championship, um, and it's now added a European Le Mans Series LMP2 program. So in that sense, yes, it, it's proven to be um, a really good um, stepping stone um, for, for for that team. Good for the you know the the championship as well to point to its ongoing successes in in whatever it, it goes on to do. Of course, TF Sport did win the GTE AM class at the Le Mans 24 Hours last year. Um, but you know, equally, British GT does thrive because of its teams that return year after year after year. You know, the the guys like Barwell Motorsport. Um, I mentioned Leo Majitsky winning the title in in 06, coming back. He actually won that title with Barwell. Um, you know, it's it's been a stalwart of the of the series. Um, Beach Dean as well has been there for for most of the the past decade or more, um, and it is good, you know, from a continuity point of view for for fans as well to have these teams that they can identify as the as the ones that are going to be at the front. Um, but it is interesting every once in a while to to shuffle the deck a little bit and see who can fill the breach. So I'm looking forward to a, a really exciting and interesting season. That um, yeah should get underway with a, a thriller at Brands Hatch this weekend. Absolutely. And it's not just sports cars that are, are getting underway at Brands Hatch this weekend. It's also the start of the BRDC British F3 Championship, uh, which is the UK's premier single-seater series. And if we look at the entry list for the first round, I guess one of the possibly the, the leading contenders potentially is Zach O'Sullivan. And he came agonisingly close to winning the British F4 title uh, last year and is now again driving for top team Carlin as he steps up to British F3. So how would you sort of rate his chances, Stefan, of, of making a mark as he takes that sort of next step on his career? Well, as you said, Stephen, obviously um, last year in British F4, he came, you know, so close to, to winning the championship. I think he lost it by four points in the end. And that all came about because of of the rain um, and a and a you know a shortened race and half points being awarded. He he did everything he could, um, you know, to win it. So you know from the end of last season, obviously you know bitterly disappointed to to lose the championship to Luke Browning there. Um, but like you say, he's 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 moved up to British F three, which um, you know he's not the first driver to do that move from British F four to to the British F um, three championship. Um, for those who don't know, this is this is the new version of, of British F3. It's been running for a few years now. It's run by Jonathan Palmer's Motorsport Vision um, organization, um, and Zach's with um, Carlin, who have been in it since the start. Um, obviously, Carlin, a, a team who have been in many single-seater championships and in BRDC British F3 in particular, they're the dominant force. Basically, they've um, won three three championships. They've won the last two on the trot with Clement Novelak and Caelan Frederick um, last season. So yeah, so he's 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 in the right place to be honest. If anything, there's probably you know quite a bit of pressure on him to perform, being with a team like Carlin. It's quite interesting actually because this year Carlin have got three. Um, complete rookies to the season. So they've got Zach O'Sullivan, they've got Christian Mansell, and they've got Bryce Aaron as well, who's moved up from um, former Ford. So it's going to be quite a, quite a leap for him. Um, but yeah, going back to Zach, I mean, he he obviously demonstrated in um, 2020 in British F4 that you know he's got a bit of a, a star quality about him. Um, I think I'm right in saying it was his first season actually in single seaters, um, and you know to come so close to to winning the championship and winning a number of races during the season. You know, he's obviously adapted quite well, you know, to single seaters. 
Um, and again, you know, a step up for this season. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult to tell sort of how he's going to adapt to the car. These cars, yes, they have more power than the British F4 cars, but the real um, key is the downforce. The downforce is a lot more than the British F4 cars. Um, I mean, as you'll have seen from Thruxton earlier this month with the British F4 cars, they move around a hell of a lot um, with their rear end. It's it's quite a twitching oversteer car, whereas British F3, just because of the, the much more aero there is on the car, it's it's a completely different characteristic. And for some drivers, it does take them a little while to get their head around. Um, so obviously, you know, the only time will tell sort of is if Zach can, you know, really get on top of that and, um, you know, and challenge for the championship. But as I said, you know, he's, he's in the right team. Um, I think I'm right in saying that out of every team in the championship, Carlin are probably the one that does the most testing um, because they've been in it from the start. They've got obviously years of experience on how to set up the car for different circuits. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting, but, you know, by no means is he sort of, you know, the favorite for the title, but certainly he's, you know, I'd be very surprised if he's not winning races at some stage. And I guess then it just comes down to his consistency as to whether, you know, he can actually mount a challenge for the championship. Who do you sort of see as his main rivals? Who do you sort of think will be front runners starting at Brands Hatch this weekend? It's going to be quite an interesting year. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, Carlin are the, you know, the dominant force in the championship. But, you know, where there's Carlin, there's, there's been double R and, you know, they've won two of the championships over the last five years as well. Um, but they've they've decided to for, for a number of reasons they decided not to take part in the championship this year. So in many ways it sort of leaves you know the door open for Carlin. But um, you know having said that, High Tech who you know and certainly no strangers to single seaters, you know they've been in a, a variety of different categories. Um, they they entered last season for the first time um, and just narrowly missed out on the title with Kushmani. Um He'd already done a, a season of British F3, so his performance wasn't perhaps. Surprising, and and neither was was high techs, but the fact that they got the car so late, um, and had I mean they had I think a couple of days testing beforehand to to push Carlin so close to the championship, you know it was you know it was a real you know really good effort. Um, so obviously now they've had that year of experience behind them, I fully expect this year to them you know for them to come back even stronger. And you know looking at their lineup, it's 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 a strong lineup of second year drivers. Um, Bart Horston, who raced with Lannan last season, um, he's a British F4 um, graduate as well. He won a few races in, in 2019 when he was doing that. Um, last year, he was he was quite unlucky. I mean, um, Lannan Lannan weren't obviously perhaps the, 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 the you know the, the top team that Carlin is, for example. Um, and, and I think that Bart was a little unlucky in getting caught up in a few incidents in races. Um, there was an incident in testing at Donington where his car was damaged quite badly and he needed a new chassis. Um, so it's all these kind of little things that just sort of have a bit of a knock-on effect. So, you know, to be honest, I don't sort of think he showed his true potential last year. Um, and as a second-year driver, he's obviously got that experience that Zach O'Sullivan doesn't, for example. And moving to a team like Hitech, who, you know, have got a bit, you know, that professionalism about them and um, it's their second season as well. I, I would fully expect him to be challenging for the championship. Whether he's going to be the favourite or not, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, but alongside him, he's got Reese uh, Ushijima. Sorry, um, he's remaining with High Tech this season. Um, again, last year it was his first season in the category. Um, he'd managed to get a podium and you know showed flashes of you know pace here and there. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he does. Um, and the third driver to complete their lineup is um, Sebastian Alvarez, who you obviously know I think from um, his time in British F4. 
um, in 2019, came second in the championship then. So, you know, obviously a, a quick and, and decent driver. Um, he was due to be doing British F3 last season with Double R, actually. But, you know, as, COVID, as you've mentioned already with COVID, you know, people's plans changed and, you know, fell over. And, and he was one of them. You know, he didn't do any racing last year, as far as I'm aware. Um, so although he's a first year driver, you know, we know he's quick. Um, and he's with obviously high tech who are, you know, a, a good team. Um, so I think really, you know, the three high tech drivers and, and the Carlin drivers, I think really should be, you know, towards the sharp end for the majority of the season. But, you know, that's certainly not to say that other teams aren't going to be able to, you know, feature on the podium and, you know, even grab the occasional win during the year. But I think for the championship, it's it's going to be between high tech and Carlin again. And it's interesting, really, isn't it? Because you mentioned high tech joining the series for the first time last year and there are two new teams joining the championship for this year and both of them have got a huge amount of success under their belts in other categories already so one of them is Arden which has competed in a number of different um, single-seater championships over the past couple of decades and achieved plenty of success and the other is Elite Motorsport and now they're best known as being a uh, one of the sort of powerhouses of the Janetta racing scene. Uh, their drivers have won the last three uh, Janetta Junior Championships, and they've also taken titles in the GT4 Super Cup and been front runners in basically all of the Janetta categories. Uh, but F3 represents a very different uh, challenge for them. It's something they've put a lot of effort into. They've put to make sure they've got the sort of right people on board to be successful from the start but where do you sort of see those two new teams to the to the series joining the the pecking order Arden and Elite you know are joining this season nothing ever sort of stands still does it in motorsport you know we've lost double R for this season but you know in um, in come two new teams um, I should add as well that actually you know Lannan um, who have been a mainstay of the championship um, you know they ran George Russell to the um, to the championship before it was called BRDC British F3 um, in 2014 I believe um, they've they've pulled out and in their place um, and their cars are being now run by Elite um, and you know as you say I mean I think they've won more you know Ginetta titles than I've had hot meals um, you know they've won they've won so much with with Ginettas um, this is their first you know as far as I'm aware it's their first foray really into single seaters so it's yes they've got a lot of experience in other forms of motorsport but you know single seaters is is a sort of a different kettle of fish really. Um, you know, it's going to be very intriguing to see how they get on um, because, yes, like I said, they have the experience, but when they're going up against the likes of Carlin who have, you know, five plus years of single-seater experience, it's going to be, you know, they're not going to be able to make that up in a season. Um, I, you know, and that's certainly not to say that they're not going to be towards the sharp end, you know, of, for certain races. I, I definitely think that, you know, they could spring a surprise and um, in particular Tom Leban. Um, you know, he's one of their drivers this season. He won the Jeanette Junior Championship last year. Um, you know, so it's his first season in single seaters as well. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, that pairing sort of get on, really. Um, I mean, just thinking back to a couple of years ago, we had Tom Gamble, who was a Jeanette Junior Champion. Um, it was his first year in, in cars altogether, I believe. And he then jumped to British F3 in 2018. And before the season, everyone was thinking, well, how's he going to get on? You know, it's going to be tough for him, and um, you know he was one of the stars of the season. And at the end of that year, he, you know, he won the um, Aston Martin Autosport Award for the young driver. You know, I'm certainly not saying that Tom Tom's going to sort of, you know, be be, be uh, you know be winning that. But um, you know, it just goes to show that you know just because you haven't had a season in single seaters doesn't mean that 
you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, compete towards the front. Um, and then, you know, going to, to Arden as well, I mean, you know, it's sort of the exact opposite of a leap in the single-seater, you know, um, category. You know, Arden, I believe, have done every single-seater championship imaginable, apart from, you know, BRDC, British F3. This is their first time in it. Um, so, you know, they, they do have experience of single-seater championships. Okay, it's not this specific one. Um, but again, it's going to be very interesting to see how they get on. They've got Frederick Lubin and Alex Connor, and Alex um, won a couple of F4 races last season. You know, he's he's obviously a driver with quite a bit of speed and stuff. But again, it comes back to that point of how they're going to adapt to these new cars, and especially as well being part of a team that um, you know haven't taken part in British F3 before. It's it's all about trying to gain as much experience as they can and get up to speed as quick as they can. And one of the key I mean, there's two two key points really to British F3. One is the qualifying because because these cars have so much more aero. It's very very difficult for them to overtake. You know, it's obviously very much like F1. There's no DRS on these cars either, so you know it's it's even harder to overtake with them. So qualifying becomes obviously paramount, and the gaps between the cars from the front of the field to the back can be within a second. You know, it's a you know you make one slight mistake and you could you know it's the difference between the front row and you know, the third or fourth row, which makes a huge difference. Um, and then the second thing, and, and something which I always seem to write in every preview and season review that I do, is consistency. And, you know, you people are probably thinking, well, it's the same for every championship, but in particular British F3, just with the way the points are and you've got a full reverse grid race where you gain points based on how many positions you gain, scoring points on a consistent basis is, is absolutely key. I mean, we saw it in 2019 with Clement Novelak. He won two two races the whole season. I think there was 24 races and he only won two. But he finished every single race in the points. Whereas Jonathan Hoggard, I think it's fair to say, was by far and away the quickest driver in the championship. I think won seven races. Um, but because he'd had, I think, two or three DNFs in the season, he couldn't overturn that points lead at any point in the season. Um, and it just goes to show that that experience, um, you know, Clement was a, a Carling driver. Having that experience and know-how and consistency is what's going to win this championship and yes Arden and Elite are probably going to shine during the season but over the course of it I just can't see them you know being able to sustain you know a championship challenge for example but but yeah I think it's you know it's great to have new teams in the championship um, and especially teams like Elite you know and Arden you know they're very well known in in motorsport circles so you know I think it's a great addition and hopefully they'll be around you know for a couple of years you know if not you know much longer. Brands Hatch this weekend will, in fact, be James's first uh, appearance at, at a race meeting so far this year. Uh, but, but Stefan, you, you've already been to a couple of race meetings, haven't you? You had an interesting experience at Donington Park for the, for the Donington Historic Festival uh, earlier this month. Uh, tell us about that meeting. Yeah, I've um, you know I've had the, the the privilege of being able to go to a few race meetings already this year. Um, obviously, spectators um, you know have have been unable to um, you know for a number of weeks now. Um, but yeah, like you say, the Donington Park Historic Festival it's something I've kind of had on my to do list for a little while. Um, basically, ever since the Amon Cup was announced, um, which was you know sorry is for for four GT forties you know a race ex- exclusively for them. Um, you know, as somebody who has obviously followed motorsport for you know a number of years, like we all have, you know, you hear about the fabled GT40 and you know how revolutionary it was for the time, um, and even now, sort of how it's you know revered and you know seen as a legendary you know car. Um, so I, you know, I wanted to go and see that, and um, let me tell you, it didn't disappoint. It was it was amazing. Um, 
you know, there was, I mean, I say there was only, but there was, there was 11 cars on the grid. Um, you know, I think they were hoping to, to get a few more, but obviously with travel restrictions from abroad, with people not being able to come over and the cars as, as well, not being able to come over, they, they were only able to get 11, but you know, even so it was a, you know, it was a fantastic race. Um, three time British touring car champion, Gordon Shedden, you know, was in the race and, and won it. You know, he's, he's raced his four GT40 a couple of times at the Spa six hours. Um, but yeah, it's just, just a fantastic weekend, really. I mean, I'd really, I'd really urge anyone who hasn't been to an event like that to, you know, whether it be Goodwood or the Donington, you know, the Donington Park Historic Festival, you know, to go and see these, you know, brilliant cars in action because, um, you know, on the same weekend there was pre-66, um, 1966 Formula One cars, you know, so the car that won was a ex-Bruce McLaren Cooper. You had Sterling Moss's um, Lotus that he won the 1961 Monaco Grand Prix with. And, you know, to see these cars in action, I mean, I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago that, you know, realistically, these, these cars should be museum pieces, you know, they're, they're priceless. Um, but, you know, th that would go against what they are, which is racing cars. And, you know, to see them out in action and, you know, being raced hard, you know, these aren't demonstration runs. People are actually pushing them to the limits. You know, it's fantastic to watch, um, you know, sort of got off the year to a, a great start. And, um, you know, obviously we've got plenty more events to come this season. Um, obviously, Stephen, you know, you, you've been at um, an event this year already as well, haven't you? Yes, I was fortunate enough to be at the opening round of the British Touring Car Championship at, at Thruxton early this month, reporting on some of the support series. And it was a bit of an unusual event, not just because there still wasn't any spectators, but also because there was just two of the, the five regular support series there. So it was, felt like a, almost a little bit of a, a false start in a way. But as as ever... Thruxton always produces some interesting races and the addition of some rain into the mix made, made uh, for an even more sort of eventful weekend. And British F4 was one of the two regular support series that got underway and uh, in that series it was all about um, James Headley really over the weekend. He took two wins and a third place but on, on paper that sounds like it was a, a very sort of dominant weekend but in, in reality it was very different to that because um, in the, the first race, he benefited from choosing the uh, a dry tyre, a slick tyre, while most of the field was still on wets and the, the slicks were the way to go. He, was, he said himself he was a bit sceptical about that um, before the race, but actually uh, it allowed him to build up a, a huge lead and take a comfortable win. Then in the reverse grid race, he fought his way through from the sort of middle of the pack straight up to the lead within a few laps and the th third race was the most dramatic because he was actually involved in an incident at the final club chicane uh, on the opening lap of of the race and that incident involved four cars and it led to the contest being red flagged so that looked like it threatened to undo all the good work that he'd put in but his mechanics were able to get the car back out for when the race was restarted as they moved it to after the last touring car race. And not only was he able to get back out in the race, but he was able to take, take a third place despite the car having very poor handling in, in that race. And it was just a, completed a remarkable turnaround considering where he was about an hour beforehand. So it just goes to show how quickly things can change. But it, what it does mean is he's in a very sort of commanding position at the top of the points but as well as f4 there was also some plenty 
plenty of good action in the, the Janetta Junior races, in the Cooper class and the Mini Challenge. And it's just a really sort of good weekend and good to be back at the circuit. And I'm guessing that's just what you're sort of really looking forward to this weekend, James. Yeah, it's been seven long months for me since I was last at the track for the Silverstone finale of, of British GT last year, which was just after the, the the most recent lockdown had been announced at that point. Uh, and I remember just driving down the M40 thinking, you know, as there were there were no cars anywhere, um, signs everywhere saying stay at home, just feeling immensely um, privileged to, to be able to, to join people, you know, in, in their shared passion. And, um yeah, what a what a place to to start the new season as well on the Brands GP loop. It's the the first track that I ever went to when, when I was younger. Um, always have you know really special memories from Brands, and and one of the main reasons I love it is just as a as a place to watch trackside. You can see so many of the corners from from one spot. You know, as you're as you're walking around from Paddockill Bend. You know, in my book, one of the greatest corners in the world. Um, you can you can see them kind of come down the straight um, as you go to the infield um, on the inside of Druids you can cross over as well to the other side and you can watch um, you, can, you can walk around the whole circuit really um, all the way through um, watch the cars come up through Sheen used to be Dingle Dell for those of a, of a certain age um, it, it's just a fantastic place to be trackside and I'm looking forward to hearing the, the engine notes um, talking to people in the paddock face to face again after what seems like forever um, ringing uh, ringing people up, cold calling people, um, and uh, yeah, really just getting some fever back in my veins. Well, thank you, James, and also Stefan. That's our podcast for today. But before we go, here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus. Why IndyCar is satisfying Grosjean's appetite for his second life by Charles Bradley. Stuart Hodlin writes about why Bottas feels the time has come to be more selfish. And we examine the career of Giuliano Lacey, the Formula cult hero offspring, making up for lost time in Japan. We think it's the best motorsport writing out there, but judge for yourself with half-price access. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to allsport.com plus and click sign in at the top of the page. Then use promo code PODCAST for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.